There were twelve in all, boys on the cusp of manhood. Surviving half the year ranging beyond the homeland of their clan was their final test, and they had almost completed it. Dan Davis Welcome to this week's episode of Warfare, Advancement, and Revisionism, or should I say this week's bonus, bonus episode. I admit to have this out a little bit earlier. Uh, I want to have uh, our standard uh, you know, weekly episode during this period, uh, but I did uh, also want to continue the history podcasts this uh, this October as well. So uh, there will essentially be uh, five bonus episodes, uh, which follow, of course, the uh, fantasy historical genre slash horror historical genre, whatever. Uh, and uh, of course, we will have real history episodes too. So I hope you all enjoy this week's uh, bonus bonus episode. If all goes well, you're hearing this on uh, Wednesday. Uh, as And then, of course, Monday we had the episode on the Age of Myth. Uh, this week's episode, uh, we have The God of Bronze by Dan Davis. Uh, and uh, next week's episode, if all holds uh, to uh, Pat, we will have uh, an episode of Actual History. And then that following Monday, we'll have... Um, We'll have uh, another uh, bonus episode, uh, and then we'll be back to normal here going into November. So, uh, now, uh, to talk about the author, uh, Dan Davis is a uh, writer. He has done um, this series, which uh, there's two books out currently, uh, and he also has a novel uh, spanning... um, uh, a good portion of time from, I believe it's uh, 1200 to uh, 2000. Uh, it's about Immortal Night. I have not read any of those. Uh, then he also has a sci-fi kind of military fiction series that I also haven't uh, read yet. And also, I didn't realize this, but he has a number of historical videos on YouTube. In fact, I had watched a couple of his videos, and then I did not initially make that connection that these were the same uh, people. Uh, so when I started doing research on the author for this episode, um, I came into I, I realized it was the same channel. Uh, Dan Davis History is his YouTube channel. He has quite a bit more subscribers than me. So odds are you listening to this podcast, you you may have uh, listened to his or watched some videos of his before too. Um, and he doesn't give too much personal information, but um. You know he he's very good. Uh, he has a very great voice, and I, I love this book. I love the the concept for it, and the um, the sequel is uh, just as good, in, in my opinion. Uh, so, what is the God of Bronze? Well, the God of Bronze um, is essentially a kind of a pseudo realistic telling of the Hercules myth, as it may have actually. Uh, really quote-unquote occurred um you know it's a world much uh not you know not set in the classical greek era but set much at a much earlier uh date um in a very different location Uh, i think he you know claims that this takes place around 3000 bc 
And it does not follow Hercules, uh, but instead Horcus and his brother Belleleucos. These are the two main characters of this novel, uh, Horcus, of course, being the basis of uh, Hercules. Um, Belleleucos is his uh, brother, uh, but also the leader of his uh, Corios band. And um, those who may not know, uh, Corios is a... Uh, it's a hypothetical uh, war band or war um, party um, that existed in a lot of uh, Proto-Indo-European uh, groups, um, and then you know aspects of this war band would of course be transmitted to various locations that uh, these Proto-Indo-Europeans would have traveled to. Uh, and to the people that they would interact with in a number of different ways. Um, and uh, again, this is a theory. It's a very popular theory, though it does have some detractors. Uh, we'll get into that when we study the Proto-Indo-Europeans. Um, but essentially, just think of it as a kind of... Um, an organized uh, militia, though not necessarily for defense, um, as we will talk about when we discuss the book. Um, now, for those of you who are not aware of the myth of Hercules outside of Disney movies, uh, Hercules has a number of stories that he's involved with uh, in the kind of the Greek um, uh Myth, uh, mythological tradition, uh, but his most famous role in that tradition is him uh, being gifted his 12 labors, where he has to perform 12 monumental tasks to uh, atone for uh, a sin, as it were. Um, most of these involve hunting down uh, monsters or uh, animals uh, that are extremely fierce and dangerous. Uh, in fact, there are those that theorize that uh, the the core of this myth may have even been carried over uh, prior to the arrival of Indo-European-based religions. But this may have even been something that had happened during um, you know an earlier Neolithic period, uh, where uh, it's a hunter-gatherer society. So this the tales of this of this one person hunting. Uh, and killing these 12 great uh, animals, you know, is something that at least is carried down in flashes. Um, or, you know, maybe the bare bones of that story is something that's carried, uh, you know, carried forward. And then over time, of course, it gets mythologized, aggrandized, um, and then maybe tied into other stories from other people. Or this may have been a group of hunters who are all hunting together, but then they just over time, kind of got, you know, dissolved into one person. Uh, Dan Davis, you know, takes some of this idea, I think, very well uh, as the basis for his novel, uh, but he he makes it clear that this is one man who has been tasked with this job of hunting down these 12 dangerous foes. Now, I was thinking at the start that this was something that was going to be a little bit more uh, solely based on history, uh, based on his work and things like that. I thought it would be a little bit more hard history, um, but I was 
pleasantly surprised, I think, to say that, you know, there are some supernatural slash um, mythological elements that do show up in this. Um, they are, and I, I think it helps the story. It, it may be a little pulpy to some, but honestly, for a fantasy novel, it works, and I think it works well. And I'm sure that we'll get um, maybe a little bit of answers on some of the more um, mythological aspects of the story. And we've already gotten some If once you read the second novel. Uh, but uh, Horcus, as he's known uh, at the beginning of the novel, uh, is essentially the number two to his brother, Bela Lukos. Uh, he and ten other boys of his of their tribe are in their Koryos, which again, uh, which is a war band. Uh, and I'll go into some of the basics of the theory. Essentially, there's a period of time where young men, to prove themselves, have to leave their tribe uh, as a group. Uh, they are all bound together by an oath. Uh, they are bound to a single leader. Uh, by the same oath, and he is bound to them, so they have to obey him while they are in this uh, test. Uh, during that time, they, they're in the wilderness. They are doing whatever they have to to survive. They're hunting. They're gathering. Uh, they are raiding uh, neighbors or um, you know, fighting uh, enemies uh, for uh, food or booty or what have you. Uh, and then once this test is over, they return. Uh, they, there's some type of ceremony involved, uh, and then they are allowed to return to this uh, to their home tribe. Uh, they are at that point men, and they are allowed uh, all the rights uh, associated with uh, men or freeborn men in their their tribe. Now, obviously, there are differences in some of this depending on who you ask some of this stuff uh they would say might not show up till later uh some of this may not even been evolved at all um but by and large that's generally the concept of what we're dealing with um and there there are those that argue that this may not have been something that they were uh forced out of the tribe they may have lived outside of the tribe for a period of time but you know they may have been able to return that they were not considered men until they had undergone a certain amount of service uh, in fact there is uh some of the more recent stuff i've read it seems to think like uh that they were out on their own for maybe six months of their final year in this uh, kind of pre-manhood existence uh, where they were allowed to basically do whatever they wanted to kind of get um, uh, booty or animals or women from other tribes or other people to kind of use that as a basis to start their life as an independent uh, male. But the other six months, they would undertake it as um, essentially... Uh, uh, they would have to fight uh, for the tribe's men uh, or the tribe's leadership may essentially uh, rent them out to a allied tribe. Uh, so there's six months where they have to serve either the tribe or the tribe's allies in some type of um, seasonal um, some kind of seasonal combat or uh, 
and then they were allowed to kind of do their own thing essentially uh, for six months in which case they would take as much as they could uh, for you know to bring it back to the tribe show that they're ready to be men and then use that same thing they bring back to kind of establish themselves as independent um, uh, men of the tribe um, but that's a that's another theory um, Dan Davis is very much he, he approaches this from the more traditional idea of the Corios which is a roving band of uh, young men who are you know who are forced out into the wild they are they are essentially in exile they are wolves in all sense of the word until they uh, return home and become men again um, but uh, this uh, this plan for them to return home they are very close they only have a month left I believe at the start of their adventure uh, or at the start of the book before they're allowed to return home and become men it is there it is on their way home uh, they find a tribe uh, or a location that they believe uh, would be suitable for raiding and while there um, they come across uh, devastation like they've never seen before uh, just a huge amount of just wanton slaughter carnage something that's beyond even what they themselves uh, would have, you know, would have even thought to men to have been capable of. Uh, this isn't a normal raiding party. They've seen this, the aftermath of that sort of thing before. They've even seen the aftermath of, uh, aftermath of battles and things like that. But this is something far and beyond what they, um, what they're expected to, you know, what they usually deal with. Um, and it is at this that they hear of a large army composed of demons uh, leading uh, or, you know, that are driving uh, other men in forward and that they are essentially collecting all the tribes. They're killing the chiefs uh, that will not join them. Um, they are enslaving uh, everyone who they do not kill in battle. They are taking everything and anything of value and anything that can't be taken uh, they are just burning so that no one can remain behind uh, and it is on this point that they um, come to the determination that um, you know their home uh, may have been in the path of this army so they the first big kind of debate in this um, in the book is um, you know do we forsake our you know sworn obligation or do we return home to try to defend the tribe uh, and this is something that davis very much plays on in especially in the first book uh, there's always a kind of conflict between you know doing one's you know sac sacral obligations you know following the will of the gods nature what have you and then there's you know the idea of serving you know, the clan, uh, the group, uh, the Corios the itself, uh, and how that these things are not always, you know, cannot always be done at the same time. So which is more important, which takes precedent. Uh, the Corios itself is a semi-religious organization. Um, 
despite you know what it does you know that that's a foreign concept to us you know generally speaking most religious organizations these days uh do not have a military component uh, at least here in the west there are obviously exceptions uh and of course historically there are exceptions uh but um you know most people in the modern day again in the west uh if some type of religious organization had a military wing um 99% of the time that would be completely unacceptable uh here um though again there are exceptions in the modern day in certain areas of the world now um again big uh, big play between duty uh, uh duty to your direct kin duty to your uh extended clan duty to the gods how do all these things uh, interplay with each other um and davis does a really good job of kind of showing the conflict not just for uh the uh main character um and his brother bella lucos um but also you know for the other young men of the corios though they themselves are not nearly as important of a characters as um horcus and bella lucos um and uh there is also a conflict between the brothers um it's not um you know it, it is something that's constantly kind of harkened back and forth to um and there is a bit of a rivalry between the two um they uh they and i'll, I'll go ahead and spoil this part of the book they are twins technically uh but they are uh the very rare uh occurrence but it, it does happen it is a thing they are heteropaternal uh uh twins or uh het- sorry it's a heteropaternal superfecundation is the uh, event that causes this to happen but it's when twins are fathered by two different men uh, and this happens essentially when a woman has a second egg released during her menstrual cycle and she has intercourse with uh, two different men in relatively quick succession uh, and both eggs end up fertilized. Um, this does happen. It's extremely rare, uh, but it, it does exist. Um, now, uh uh, Horcus, um, who I, I'll go ahead and spell this part as well. At some point uh, during the course of the story, he is uh, given an adult name, a male name, um, uh, a Hercules, and this, of course, being very close to Hercules. Um, but he and Bella Lucos are, uh, you know, they love each other, but they also are too alike to kind of really get along well all of the time um and hercules or sorry hercules is very different uh from bella lucas uh, he has an advantage that uh, most people don't have uh, he is considered godborn. um now this is again one of those mythological elements that i was kind of uh, initially didn't think was going to be in the story but I was kind of pleased when they, not necessarily when he initially brought it up, but when they developed it a little bit, it was a very interesting kind of, um, it was a very interesting uh, twist to the story. 
Um, uh, Hercules's father uh, is uh, the Sky Father, uh, the Lord of the Gods. Um, they don't call him Zeus, uh, but um, that is who his father is supposed to be. Uh, he had uh, relations with his mother on the night of her marriage to Bela Lucas's father. It is during this event that um, Bela Lucas's father and a number of other, you know, uh, notable uh, people and members of the various um, tribes in the region, uh, they attempted to defend the honor of the marriage, the marital bed, uh, and they are essentially all slaughtered by. Um, Herculos's father, uh, and then he has his way with uh, Herculos's mother, and then a short time later, uh, she gives birth to uh, the two boys. Uh, she is married off to another um, chief, a very a fairly low-ranking chief compared to what she had been married to. Uh, but this is kind of done to kind of uh, prevent an all-out war between the various tribes of the region, uh, and. But this, you know, this man is a very, you know, he, he takes his responsibility as the boy's uh, foster father very seriously. He does not wish them uh, harm. He, you know, he is a good father. He, he teaches them how to be men, how to live. Uh, and eventually um, they do have a daughter, uh, the younger sister, whom both the brothers are extremely protective and fond of. Uh, and for those who may not be familiar with the Hercules myth, uh, Hercules also has a very similar origin uh, to Hercules. Uh, he does have a half-brother who is also, a, I believe, a twin. Uh, this is Iphicles. Uh, he is the son of Alcmene's husband, Amphitryon. And... Iphicles is also the uh, the father of Aeolus, who was like um, uh, he was the father. Uh, yeah, Aeolus is like uh, Hercules's charioteer, and he helps him on a few of these adventures. Um, and I'm assuming that. Well, I don't want to spoil too much, but uh, I've already spoiled enough. Um, <clears throat> but that being said. Uh, the gods do show up in this, um, or at least uh, personally you meet one. Uh, uh, fairly early in the story you meet Kolnos. Uh, he is the wolf god. Uh, he is kind of the god that oversees the the oath and the bond of the Koryos. Uh, he himself is extremely large. He, you know, kind of has a almost ephemeral ephemeral quality to him um he's kind of ragged looking he's he looks like a fairly older man or at least a wizened man um and again his physical size is imposing he's larger even than Hercules, who himself is larger than pretty much every man that he knows or anyone else knows for that matter but uh colonus even dwarfs him um I should also point out that um, uh, Hercules's uh, Bella Lucos's mother, um, she is also the a descendant of Perseus, uh, who of course is uh, the basis for uh, 
uh, Perseus uh, in Greek literature. So there is an earlier god born. He was the son as well uh, of um, of the Sky Father and a mortal woman. However, he um, he lived a quite a while quite a while uh, before Hercules did. So uh, Hercules is his descendant, uh, same as Bela Lucas, but. Uh, after a few generations, the godborn blood begins to dilute and they become more uh, mortal, I guess, for lack of a better term. Though, I do think that there is some... Um, I do think there is a more mundane explanation for these gods, uh, at least to an extent. What that explanation is, I don't know. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that, that's just my... Just kind of the feeling I'm getting, that they may not be... 100% uh, kind of on the level. Um, but uh, that's something, of course, we'll have to keep reading and uh, learning about. Uh, I think there's only two books in the series so far. I've read them both. Um, I'm looking forward to the next one. Uh, but essentially, uh, on their, you know, while they are, you know, tasked, uh, while they task themselves with finding their family or, you know, determining what is causing this massive wave of destruction, uh, Hercules is given a quest by uh, Colnos to uh, essentially uh, defeat the causes of this uh, great wave of destruction. Um, and each of these uh, essentially demons, um, though again, they are probably more divine, I think, than um, than at least the characters would like to acknowledge. Uh, the gods essentially they, they serve the same purpose as the um, the giants and the Hecatonchores that like, Zeus binds up after he defeats the Titans. Um, um, so yeah, essentially they lost the war where Zeus becomes, or the Sky Father becomes the supreme god. Um, and that they have escaped from their captivity and that they are trying to get out of Dodge or get as far away from Sky Father as quickly as possible. And essentially, Colnos, uh, in addition to the tasks that Hercules himself wants to fulfill, Colnos uh, tasks him with um, defeating these... Um, these uh, rebels slash uh, escapees, um, and that is the driving force for this series. Um, I won't, I won't spoil it too much. But he does not defeat them all in one book. He, well, I, I'll, I'll go ahead and, as you can guess, he does defeat uh, one at least in the first book. Uh, the others, uh, I'll leave that up for future. But uh, that does not necessarily happen the same way in book two. Um, but uh, this is a very interesting series. I liked it a lot. I thought it was better than um, Age of Myth, which, again, I reviewed in the prior episode. Um, again, there's a little bit of pulp to this, uh, but I don't mind. I love pulp. Uh, but this is not. Uh, this is meant to be a fairly serious, uh, at least there's a lot of serious of things happening in this. There is character death. Sometimes characters... Uh, you know that you would not expect to die die uh, there are some characters who uh, do make it through the first story and you think will be there you know all the way and they end up getting got you know very early in book two um, so 
yeah, this is very much like this world is brutal. It's a very uh, cruel uh, world, uh, and I think that's by design. Uh, but that's not to say that it is completely like filled with blood and guts and slaughter. There are you know moments where there are you know you know very deep humanity kind of a you know, brotherhood between all men type of deal where you know people from different walks of life they do kind of try and settle matters you know peaceably uh and there is you know there are not so much in the first book but there are elements where you can see you know different groups kind of blending uh, in culturally and peaceably uh and uh, there are parts, you know, where you talk about raiding and uh, fighting where, you know, there are certain ways you could make this extra bloody. But Davis does a very good job of keeping it just sanitized enough where you can still root for your heroes um, and, you know, you can still hate your, your villains, um, even though they do some of the same things. Um, essentially, you know, there are some characters who maintain that sense of humanity uh, and that sense of honor that maybe some of the, the villainous characters do not. Uh, and I, I think that's a very hard needle to thread. And I think Davis does it, and he does it well. Uh, he's a very good author. I, I was actually pleasantly surprised, um, Especially with the cover of the book, it doesn't look all that professional, in my opinion. But um, it, it's very well done. And uh, the second one I've listened to on tape, and or I'm listening, yeah, I've listened. Excuse me, I've listened to it on uh, Audible. Uh, the the uh, the author, or the not the author, but the um, uh, the the um, narrator does a fantastic job. I thought he did great. And uh, it's it's odd because, again, Davis has his own YouTube channel, and he's got a great voice, too. I'm surprised he didn't narrate, him, narrate it himself. I'm sure he was far too busy. Uh, but, yeah, um, this, is, this is a great book. I loved it. Um, I think the second one's even better. Uh, but the first one, I recommend it. Uh, I'd give it a solid 9 out of 10. Uh, there are some things that I thought maybe could have been done a little bit better. Uh, but for a history nerd and like a prehistory person, uh, I think you would find a lot of enjoy this about enjoyment about this. Um, one of the little touches I really liked was um, you see these rivers, uh, and they share very similar names to what the uh, what the modern version of those names would be. So we talked about um, how names for rivers and water sources are sometimes extremely slow to change if at all uh and uh Dnipra, uh is one of the uh rivers they run into which is of course the Dnipro now um so that's just one of those nice little kind of cut-ins and uh you know he does take um some of a little bit of liberties uh with some historical things but that's okay and um you know he he kind of does revel in the you know the very um, stereotypical, I guess, concepts of the Indo-European tradition, but that's fine. Uh, I don't have a problem with that at all. It, it works with the book. It works with the story he's telling, and um, we'll we'll talk about uh, some of those uh, traditions and stuff when we talk about the Indo-Europeans um, and their religion and their 
you know, uh, their bands and bonds with each other and how we think we know about that and, you know, what is actually known and what isn't and what's guesswork and what is, um, you know, supported by what evidence. Because there's a lot of things to dive in on in that. Uh, but, but Davis does, I think, a very good job of at least laying out a believable Corios, something that, you know, makes sense in the world. And even if it is not our world, it is close enough to our world that something like this could have conceivably existed uh, for whatever reason. But yeah, uh, so again, I think this is a great book, very much worth it. Um, if you have any questions or feedback, please do not hesitate to let me know. Um, you can reach me at my email, um, waradrevpod at gmail.com. You can contact me uh, via direct message on Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it. You can comment on any of my YouTube videos. I will see it eventually. I'll try to respond as best I can. So, um, thank you all, and I hope you enjoy, and I hope you will join us next time as well. Thank you, and have a great day. Goodbye.